This episode of Crisis Talks is brought to you by my new book, Boom or Bust, Survive and Thrive During Crisis. 30% of proceeds of the book are being donated to the Emergency Services Foundation, which is dedicated to supporting the mental health of our responders who protect us every day. Go to www.leftofboom.com.au forward slash boom dash or dash bust. When crisis strikes, organisations face a battle of survival under intense scrutiny. How they are judged depends on the performance of individuals and teams huddled in war rooms, working to provide a coherent response under maximum pressure. In Crisis Talks, I aim to capture the insights of people who have responded to a crisis and their stories of leadership, courage and resilience in the face of extreme adversity. Their lessons will help us all be better prepared to preempt and respond proactively and with confidence. My name is Grant Chisnell and this is Crisis Talks. In this episode of Crisis Talks, I speak with the Managing Director of Toll Group, Thomas Knudsen. Toll Group is a global supply chain business and a great case study of resilience in the face of adversity. Since 2020, Toll Group have been affected by the bushfires in Australia, COVID overseas and here in Australia again, and then two global cyber attacks. Under this sort of pressure, most businesses would have faltered. However, Toll has remained resilient and is powering forward with its growth in Asia-Pacific, a feature of the leadership of Thomas and his team at Toll Group. During this episode, we talk about the importance of planning in logistics and supply chains. We talk about the importance of adaptive leadership. But most importantly, the greatest insight I got from this interview was when Thomas said that crises are quite addictive. He went on to explain that it's important as leaders when dealing with a crisis, so you're not just focused on the here and now, that we're starting to think about the future and the longer-term impacts and the longer-term opportunities that crisis can present to business. So, Thomas, welcome along to Crisis Talks. Thank you, Grant. Pleasure to be here. Now, I'd challenge anyone out there around the world right now to tell me another story of another business that's lived through more adversity and through more challenges than Toll Group has over the last two years. Can you describe to some of the people some of the challenges that you guys have had to work through? Yeah, so I started on the 1st of January uh, 2020, and as you were hinting at, it does feel like a long, long time ago. So within the first month as the new managing director, in addition to what I would call normal business challenges, we were hit by a cyber attack by the end of January 2020. And at the same time as, as that was unfolding, we started to see the emerging signs of covid uh, so because we're a global business, we were exposed from China. So already late January, early February, we started seeing that emerging in China and then rolling into the rest of Asia and then, of course, the rest of the world. So so already within the first quarter, we had a cyber attack and COVID and we came right out of uh, significant forest fires and challenges at the end of the year. And then we had another cyber attack in the second quarter of the year um, at the point where COVID was really coming through. And all the implications COVID had both of our own people in terms of safety and how we had to manage our lockdowns and so on. But of course, also the fact that the global trade for a period of three months came to almost a grinding halt. 
And at the same time, the need for PPE that was required around the world, particularly in Australia, increased rapidly. We delivered more, almost 200 charters from China and Vietnam and India into Australia, as an example. So, no, you're right. The first six months last year was, was a never-ending crisis or number of crises. But fortunately, we've seen since then that the business has stabilized and the impact of COVID in some ways have had a positive impact on the business uh, because of bottlenecks that has been created, which has created opportunities for toll. But it certainly has been a very challenging 18 months. I mean, you've come from Maersk previously, where you'd sort of lived through a cyber attack there. Can you describe to people what sort of goes on in these types of events and what the impacts are from a broader business perspective? When you've gone through it already once, I I guess your perspective changes a little bit because when we went through it in Maersk, you don't know what you're dealing with. And and at, at that time, I think it was in 2017, it was not necessarily something that happened talked about a lot. So that was very much an unknown experience. You didn't know what was coming. You could say, fortunately, because I tried it as we had our cyber attack in Toll, I kind of had a sense of what was happening. But but I will be honest that the morning where I woke up and, and saw my phone saying that we might have a cyber attack and we were shutting down our servers, I did have a very bad feeling uh, in my stomach because, you know, you, you just dread What does that mean for the business, for our customers and so on? You don't necessarily know at that point how bad it is, but because you've tried it before, it really starts very emotional almost in terms of saying, oh my God, this is going to be bad, even without you necessarily knowing the details. No, and I think as the days develop, you start getting a much clearer picture of what has happened and, and you switch from, I would say, this feeling of, oh my God, what happened? to, okay, so what do we need to do? How do we create a plan? How do we solve the problems? Which is, it gets more clear what is wrong. And and I think that perhaps emotionally makes it a little bit easier. But of course, the amount of work and the impact on your colleagues and on your customers is massive. And that becomes the challenge. Now, having lived through a number of these yourself, what sort of advice would you give to those who are either preparing their plans for these sort of eventualities or, or not even embracing that sort of risk? What's the advice you'd give to them? Well, the first one is that when people do risk management, they often have a tendency to look at a lot of things as black swans. And and we've done that in terms of COVID and so on. But for instance, COVID was actually on our risk matrix. Mm. So a global pandemic was in our risk matrix, but we consider it uh, unlikely to happen. So we hadn't really planned around that. So I would probably say, uh, well, if you don't have a risk matrix, get one. So have a structured approach to risk as one. Number two, don't look at these events at black swans, because I don't think that a cyber attack is a black swan event anymore. It's it's almost an expected business likely impact. So it becomes much more about how do you then manage that? And I think especially cyber attacks, you're looking at that now and saying, I don't think any business should plan around what if every business should plan on when. Yeah. So that it actually changes the conversation. If means that you are trying to build a wall around your business that prevents it from happening. You should absolutely work on that. But reality is we've seen that it's not just tall, but there are very secure organizations that have been penetrated. So my advice would be plan as if you are going to be penetrated and you're going to be attacked. What are you going to do to manage that? How are you managing your data? How are you managing your customers? How are you going to get back up and going? How do you segregate your technology so you can get back up and running as fast as possible? So I think it's it's a much stronger focus on risk, and it's probably an acknowledgement that, especially with cyber, is likely to happen. So manage around that. 
I think uh, General Omar Bradley said amateurs talk strategy and professionals talk logistics. How did that logistics background really support you and the team in responding to all those different events? Like you said, bushfires into COVID, into cyber, COVID, cyber. One of those events alone would probably take down any other business normally. So how does that logistics background really support you throughout those challenges? I think that's a very good quote because I, I do think most wars are lost and won on logistics, not on the bravery of the people in the front line. And, and I think probably because we are a logistics business and we constantly are faced with different challenges. So I mentioned forest fires, but that's not the first one. You have strikes in ports, you have breakdown in airports. Logistics have become a, a front page discussion at the moment with the issues around supply chain breaking down, whether it's Australia, the US, the UK, the world is now in, in, in crisis. So I think our business leaders have actually been brought up in, a, in an industry that almost thrived on crisis and solving problems. So I think that helped us both with cyber, but certainly also with COVID. So I think it is an inherent capability in a logistics organization is to deal with disruptions whether it's a formal plan or whether it's informal, just having the capabilities to do so. I think you've got to be careful, though, that it doesn't take over because sometimes it becomes an excuse for not doing proper long-term planning and, and sometimes stepping back and thinking about the wider context of the business. Um, and especially during COVID, where there's been one challenge after the other, one of the things that my leadership team have been focusing on is trying to step back and saying, so what happens next, rather than just solving the immediate problems. And that's a real mindset challenge, though, because the here and now is obviously can be all absorbing, particularly in that crisis mode. So is there a structure or a, or a mode that you take to step people further forward of those situations? Yeah, I think crisis and problem solving can almost be a drug because it's actually quite attractive for us as human beings, I think, because we've got a problem we solve it and we feel good about having solved the problem, but we get drawn into doing that over and over again uh, rather than solving the root causes. So I think there is, at least the, the way we are talking as a leadership team is the idea of saying, what should we spend our time on? And if you look at the first six months of COVID and cyber attack, I would say we probably spent 95% of our time on solving immediate problems. Mm. Uh, but we've been quite conscious in terms of as a leadership team trying to change that into saying how much time do we spend on solving customer problems and really trying to engage with customers again and we want to ramp that up. Another one is how do we look at developing and strengthening our capabilities within the organization so people and ramping that up and spending less time on managing the business itself and trying to delegate that to the frontline leaders to be sure that they feel that they are empowered to solve those problems on their own. And, and in fact, that they delegate it further down because I think delegation empowerment is, is actually critical to this because we have good people. So let them solve the problems that we have rather than trying to do it from the top and removing ourselves from the problem solving at the day-to-day -day level and really setting time in our agenda when we have meetings, when we engage to spend more time talking long-term that's been apparent with your leadership style there too, which I've had a privilege to sort of observe from a little bit once or twice removed. But that focus on people has been a real hallmark of your leadership. How has that really translated now into the changes that you're seeing in the business? Well, I, my, my view is that at best, I'm average of the intelligence of the people that work in tolls. So that means there's a lot of people that has better insights into things. I see myself as somebody who connects dots for other people, but but I think without having 
the capabilities of the 25,000 people we have working in toll without leveraging those and thinking that a command control structure from the top, we won't go anywhere. No. We won't get the most out of the people working for toll. So I think unless we recognize that, and I think most leaders get that, that you just need to get that in. But sometimes it actually gets hard because it's a lot about allowing people to have the space to actually do what they're good at uh, and not trying to constrain them. So we've tried to create a little more, and it's a, an evolving work, is to create more empowerment and take some of the guardrails away, not removing them, but perhaps moving them a little bit out so people sense that they have that, that flexibility to leverage their own talents. And I think the second part there is, is really to start being more clear on what our strategy is, because if people are given empowerment to act, they need to understand within what framework. So you know, if, if we're going right, you don't want people to think that they should be going left and all their empowerment goes toward that. So it's very much about saying, what is our strategy? Where are we going? What's our focus areas? Within that, please act on that. And, and you've been in the Army Grant. Uh, I have been too. I think one of the things that I've seen in great leadership, and I spent some time there, was this idea that you define your objective, you give the playing field that you operate within, and then you allow people to develop a plan, but ensuring that it's aligned with others around them so you don't screw it up too much. And I think that's one thing that I've tried to bring here is this idea that you got to set the direction, you got to define the playing field, but then you also have to give people the opportunity to define their own plans within that. Yeah, mission command or directive control, set those sort of objectives and let the team, you know, do the best to achieve them. So what other sort of lessons have you taken either from the military or from your career up to date? What are sort of those formative things that sort of help you or help shape you into the leader you are now? I think the army gave me some basic things. So I think there's a lot of people who haven't been in the military who thinks that the army is a case of where people just say yes, sir, and do what they're told. And, And that's far from the truth, at least in my experience. I think what what I learned in the army was that sometimes it's just a grind. You know, it's not always fun and sometimes you just got to get on with it. You learn that in very basic terms in the army that you dig a hole and then you fill it up and you say, why the hell did I do that? But but reality is it was because they wanted to demonstrate that sometimes you just got to do the tough work. And, And I think that gives you a discipline and resilience to work through things. I think the other part that I learned was about role modeling that if you're not willing to do what it takes, the people who are working for you as a young soldier won't do it either. Reversely, if you're digging a hole and it's raining and you're their commanding officer, they will do it because they see that. And I think it's one of the most basic and simple ways of leadership, but I think role modeling is critical and being willing to do what it takes. And and I think, how, how does that translate into, you could say, my role today? Because I'm not digging holes, but it is to go out into the business to meet with people at the floor at five o'clock in the morning and saying, okay, so what's your reality here? What's your problems? What's not working? How can I help you? And really putting yourselves in their place. Um, I do things that I don't enjoy for sure, but I do it because I want others to see that that's also part of what I expect from them. So I think the whole role modeling is something that I learned very early in the army. And I probably didn't get it before I joined the army, but it's been with me for, for a long period. I think uh, a friend of mine, Cameron Schwab, once said that some leaders get to the top of the mountain and they don't like the view. How's your experience sort of been, you know, getting to the top of the business as it is now and living through that turbulent time or leading through that turbulent time? How's that view looking for you now going forward? 
Well, I, I would certainly say that sometimes I don't enjoy the view uh, when you're sitting at the top, but at the same time, I think leadership gives you a privilege that you actually have an opportunity to influence that. And I think leaders who say, well, you know, I didn't create this problem or it's not mine to solve, then, then in my view, you're not a leader, right? You need to face into it. But I think the reward you get is when you actually start solving those problems with the team and you can see that the people who work with you are getting it done and the pride that you get from solving these problems. Um, I was sharing with you before we started that I think Toll is very much on the right direction. We can see that coming through on a number of different parameters, whether it's our safety performance, our growth in Asia, our financial performance and so on. So when you see that happening, that gives you a certain pride around what has the team achieved and so on. I get an immense sense of pride when I actually see what our people actually do on a daily basis, right? Our, our purpose in Toll is we move the businesses that move the world. And that's actually a really powerful purpose in my view, because that's reality, right? You, yeah. you go to a big supermarket in Australia today and shop, and I bet you that all of that stuff got there because of a logistics company. Whether that's Toll or another one, we enable that. You know, we've got our tall helicopters that save people, whether it's pregnant women being picked up somewhere and, and flown to the hospital or it's a horrible traffic accident or it's a boat that is sinking or whatever. It's hard not to be proud of the men and women who do that work. So that was a long answer, Grant. I thoroughly enjoy the, the view from the top because I think it is both a view from the top. But as you walk down the mountain, if you want to call it that, there's so much good stuff going on. You mentioned about purpose and how important has that been in defining or redefining the path out of the recovery from those incidents last year? Well, I think probably you have to eat humble pie as a leader in that respect is I don't think I've done a good enough job at really using purpose in the beginning of that journey. I think we were extremely focused on just solving problems, but I do think purpose is integral to our future. And it's something we talk a lot about at the moment. It's really, I, I think it has to be two things. The business has to have a purpose, but it has to align with your personal purpose. So I'm, I'm very much trying to ensure that for me personally, also those align at the moment. One of my big passions is sustainability and in particular the environment. And I think that COVID has created an opportunity for our business to really put that in the center of our mission and vision, but also purpose in terms of saying we move the business that move the world, but we do it in a great way for the planet. So I think finding ways to really make the purpose real. So it's not just words on the wall, but people actually can look at it and go, so how do I fit into that? What's my role in that? Because everybody has a role. If you're a truck driver and tall and you deliver a product to one of our big customers, you are part of moving the businesses that move the world, right? If you don't do your job, there's not going to be toilet paper on, on the shelves. And, and we know what that means. That happens here. <laughs> I think that purpose, translating it from words on a wall to something that people can intuitively understand is critical. Looking forward, you mentioned about the future that you're looking into now and, and the challenges that exist coming out of COVID. What are you, sort of the trends that you're seeing as a leader and within your circles as well? What are some of the challenges you're seeing for your customers and how are you looking to shape to address those challenges for them in the future? So I think if we look at our customers, they've had their business disrupted. Um, some customers that are online uh, have had the best 18 months of their life and, yeah. and, and good for them. Yeah. I think a lot of other businesses are struggling to adapt to that. So going perhaps from a, a bricks and mortar structure to an omni-channel and perhaps even to a dedicated e-commerce strategy. 
and we see a role in supporting that, but of course also transforming our business to meet the demands of that. And that transfer of business model from bricks and mortar to becoming more of an e-commerce also suddenly drives an increasing need to have visibility of where your product is real time. It creates both a need, but also an opportunity to have the right level of data around how are your customers behaving? What are they looking for? So, so I think that has certainly created an opportunity for us to work closer with our customers. In our freight forwarding business, there's so many challenges now, the lack of passenger planes to fly cargo, yeah. Yeah. Um, the many problems in ports have created opportunities for us. Uh, unfortunately, because our customers are having problems, they can't get their products off ships and into stores. And then as a business, what we then have is an opportunity to work with them and try to find solutions for that, right? How do we get things on a plane instead of uh, on a ship and so on? And that's actually financially been good for us, but it's, it's a challenge for our customers. Internally, Grant, what I think is really the big challenge now is that for all of us, the world has just changed. Most of our people have been working from home and we have a lot of people who are saying, you know what, I'm actually not that excited about coming back to work. Why do I have to come back to work? It's worked the last 12, 18 months. So can't I just work from home or can I go to Bali and work? That'd be nice. Get my salary and paid out in Bali and, and work there. And, and I think we as a business have to do two things. One is we've got to be more adaptive to the needs of our employees. So, you know, we realized that perhaps we could have been more flexible in the past before COVID because we can actually do work from home. Mm. But I think what has also become very obvious is that it's very difficult to create a sense of team and talk about purpose. Having tough conversations, but also the great conversations, it's very difficult if you're working all your time from home. I don't know about you, Grant, but for me, I really enjoy the feeling of talking face to face with yeah. people, having a relationship, having a coffee. You know, if you ask yeah. me as a CEO, Thomas, how much time should people spend drinking coffee and chatting? I would probably, before COVID, have said as little as possible. <laughs> Absolutely changed my view on that and said, one of the critical things is that people have those conversations, talk about things that are not specifically related to a task, because it's actually an informal way of sharing information. Uh, we've yeah. certainly seen that in the beginning of COVID, productivity picked up, but we've certainly also seen the last six to 12 months that the absence of personal relationships uh, having the tough conversations, but also having the forward-looking conversations about where do we want to go, are very difficult if we don't get people back. That doesn't have to be five days a week. Absolutely not. We're saying 50% is probably a good number. So probably working from home three days or uh, two days a week and being in the office three days a week. But that's probably becoming our biggest challenge. Yeah, understood. And so looking forward, then there's a lot more other risks that are on the horizon. We've got some global tension that's occurring at the moment. How is that sort of going to, do you think, sort of shape the impact or have an impact rather on supply chain resilience? It's probably one of the biggest things that I don't think we've learned from COVID. So specifically when COVID happened in the first three months, there was a lot of discussion in the press and amongst companies of how do we ensure that we are better prepared yeah. for the next black swan event and how do we create more resilience in the supply chains? In many ways, I think the quick recovery in China probably created some false sense of security in that respect because the supply chain actually got started really well again. 
where for me, some of the lessons learned from COVID, which is now translating into some of the challenges that are happening in the supply chain is you can't have single source dependency in your supply chain. Too many companies have had that. And having three factories in China that all get their subcomponents from the same factory is not yeah. multiple sources of, of dependency. So having a much more risk mitigating thinking about your supply chains, I think is critical. So the second part of that, and in particular in Australia, where I think Australia has been falling behind, and I think is becoming more and more strategic challenge, is that many companies in Europe and the US already 10 years ago started saying we're too dependent on China, mm. not because of the geopolitical issues, just because of what happens if salaries keep on going up by 10% of the year, which they have in China. So suddenly you've got a, a labor cost, which is actually not competitive with Indonesia, India, and so on. But certainly also in Australia's case, geopolitical tensions. Are you so reliant on one sourcing area now that that puts a, a question mark to your future supply chain? So I really think that businesses need to step back and say, how do I redesign my supply chains, get a lot more resilience, a lot more agility into it? The idea of, of just-in-time supply chains, I think, are a question mark, unless you have all your supply chain right around where you're selling your products. You know, if you're selling eggs from the store outside your farm and you've got the eggs in the backyard, you don't need more resilience. Uh, but if you're importing them from another country, I would certainly suggest that you think about how much inventory do you hold? Do you need to have a, a manufacturing capability closer and so on? And I think that has to be accepted. And unfortunately, that comes with additional cost. Mm. But I also think that if you look at who's doing the best, for instance, in the e-vehicle uh, e business right now, it's probably Tesla. And why is that? Because Tesla clustered their manufacturing around their factory and relied less on global supply chains. So I think there's probably some lessons learned to say here, potentially you accept a little more cost in your supply chain, but you might actually create some capacity and capability to address supply chain opportunities when others in your industry are failing to meet their customer demand. So I don't think it's only a downside. I think the people who are really agile and think about this deeply could have potential opportunities in the future. And recovery in general has an emotional impact. You've seen that emotional impact you mentioned before when you first were confronted by the cyber attack. How is the emotional impact you see coming out of COVID and the other incidents that you've dealt with as well? Have you seen that, you know, the recovery for your workforce coming out of those particular incidents? Well, everybody deals with COVID and everything differently, but I do think it's fair to say that as an organization, this is one of our biggest concerns. We've focused a lot on safety and toll, and, and that started with my predecessor, who I think drove a really strong focus on safety. And that fortunately translated not only into improving uh, safety outcomes in our operations, but actually also the care for people. And that means that we've navigated COVID much better than many of our competitors, and I think actually very well. And I don't take credit for that. I think that started well before I started in my role. But what we do need to do is really recognize that this has become much more of a mental health issue. And that's, of course, now front and center of what we talk about when we talk about safety. It's, it's mm. still the operational safety, but mental health is, is critical. And I honestly don't know, Grant, where this will uh, end because a lot of people have been really challenged. And, and I don't think that going back to normal is necessarily going to mean that everybody goes, oh, thank God we're over it now and then move on with life. Um, yeah. And as I said, the challenge of returning to a workplace, a lot of our employees, uh, a lot of people around the world are saying, well, is this what I want to do with my life? Am I happy with 
yeah. with this or should I, you know, should I go and do something completely different? And I think the next six to 12 months as we hopefully come out of COVID will mean that a lot of people will be asking themselves, am I at the right place? Am I doing the right thing? Is this what I'm passionate about or do I need to do something different? And I don't know where that's going to end up, but I think it's going to be incredibly important. And as a large company, we need to give people a reason to say, well, we want to work for Toll. We want to come back to Toll. So that that is a critical challenge. Yeah, well, I think um, I've sort of written a bit about this recently, about that the tens were like the decades of disruption. This now seems like it's going to be the decade of adaptation or adapting. So what that future state's going to look like is going to be very challenging for people. Is there any tips you give to people about looking forward to the future, about setting that vision and goals that you've spoken about there before and, and how important that purpose is, is really in aligning people's thoughts and objectives and their own purposes to the overall business purpose? Yeah, so I'm, I'm by nature a very optimistic person, Grant. So I'm, I'm not always the best person at giving advice to people who are not optimistic. About <laughs> it. But I think if you step back and look at macro numbers out there, there's a good book, and unfortunately I've forgotten his name, but I can share that with you later. But a Swedish, I think he's a Swedish professor who looked across 100 different parameters. And except for two things, there's only two things that have gone backwards. One is, is, is climate change and the other one, which is fish stock. Everything else over the last 100 years have improved, right? So life expectancy, women's rights, general um, children's health, education, everything has improved. Mm. And yes, we've had a step back now, but I actually think that the world is becoming a better place. The the big challenge I think we need to solve and everybody talks about is climate change. And for the people who don't believe in that, I would say you got to get on that train because it does matter. Broadly, I think the world is a better place. And it's not everybody who believes that. I I think the second thing is this purpose that I talked about. For Tall, find your purpose, a purpose that resonates with the company that you work for and say, are you excited about going there? Are you excited about that purpose? And for me, that does excite me, Grant. And hopefully it should excite the MD of a business, right? But the idea that, you know, if you buy anything, whether you buy it online or you buy it on a shop, that has probably been moved by a logistics company like Toll in multiple levels from raw materials to a factory, from the factory to the port or the airport. It's been transported by ship. It's going into a warehouse. It's being distributed. And at some point, somebody shows up and rings the bells of, of your house. If that's not a noble cause, mm. I don't know what it is. A hundred years ago, if you were a farmer, you have made your own vegetables. You might even have knitted your own sweaters and so on. Those days are gone. So without us, Life as we know it doesn't exist. And I'm excited by that purpose. And and I would hope that the people who work in our industry and certainly for Toll see that too. Now, one question. It's been fascinating. So thank you for your time, David. It's been really great to hear your insights and some of the challenges that you've lived through. And hearing that optimism coming through is actually really important, I think, because there's a lot of negativity around at the moment. So, you know, how do you yourself keep that positive mindset? Sometimes it can be quite the loneliness of command is what we used to talk about in the military. How did you sort of balance that yourself? So the way I deal with it, and I think it is personal, my father-in-law, he watches movies. He's in a very stressful CEO job too, and, and he watches movies even if he doesn't care for them, but he just needs to clear his mind. Yeah, yeah. And the way I clear my mind is through exercise. So I exercise every day. I'm religious about having an hour a day at least to exercise uh, because I have bad days too. I'm an optimist, but I have bad days as everybody does. If I push myself hard, whether it's a run, whether it's a swim, whether it's lifting weights or doing a hit workout, I come out of that with a clear mind. And then I focus on spending time with my family and, and with my friends. I think 
it is critical that we don't overwork ourselves because I think we lose purpose and focus and the grind is just not worth it. So I work hard. There's no doubt about that. But I'm also very conscious about getting my sleep, getting my exercise and spending time with the people that are important to me. That for me is what keeps me uh, going. And, and I can keep on going with that in my backpack. I can keep on going. I, trust me. Yeah, my dad always said, uh, yeah, wake up determined, go to bed satisfied. It's not a bad little motto for life. Now, if you had one chance to sit down with one leader, this one question I ask everyone as part of the podcast, Thomas, so it's been fascinating for this time today, so thank you. But if you had one chance to sit down with one leader in history that's either led through crisis or just someone you'd love to sit down and have a coffee with, who would that be and why? Um, Well, there's probably a lot of people on that. Winston Churchill would probably be one and hear how he felt in the early days of 1940, but probably Nelson Mandela. I'm still in awe about the fact that a man who spent 27 years in jail was able to step out of that and then find a path forward where you got a nation together and accepted that there was a lot of things that were wrong, but that's now behind us. And how do we now build a joint South Africa with a common vision? You know, South Africa has not necessarily developed in the way that I think he wanted it to do, but I think that the time and the years where he was in charge, I am in awe of that leadership um, and that ability to to leave all that baggage behind and charter a way forward where you get people behind you at all sides of society. I think that, that that's amazing leadership. So I'd love to hear him tell that story. Uh, I think a lot of people would enjoy that too. So Thomas, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great to have a chat with you on Crisis Talks. Same here. Thanks, Brian. That concludes episode one of Crisis Talks for 2022. In my book, Boom or Bust, Survive and Thrive During Crisis, I've described resilience as the adaptive capacity of an organisation when faced with any sort of uncertainty. We've definitely been faced by that over the last few years with COVID, and as we're starting to emerge into a new normal, I'm really going to explore ways that organisations and people can adapt further and evolve themselves and their organisations so that they're prepared to seize opportunities that may present in this new environment. To that end, some of my interviews this year are going to be focused on what's going to be happening next within the business world. What are leaders looking for to really grow and adapt their way through these types of situations? And what opportunities do they see on the horizons ahead? I'll still do some of the usual unpacking of some of these crisis events, and I look forward to really exploring some of the different aspects of crisis management and crisis leadership. And importantly, how you as leaders can not just survive a crisis, but you can adapt and thrive.